Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. We are back another Wednesday for a fantastic crossover season podcast. And we've had some Maryland football action, some Maryland men's basketball action. The women are playing. There's a lot going on in the Maryland athletics world. But I think today we're going to start out with Maryland football because that season is soon coming to a close. And I'm here with Lauren Rosh. I'm Dylan Spilko. Forgot to introduce myself. And Sam Ostry is coming on later. So, Lauren, let's just talk about this football team for a little. So, they beat Indiana two weeks ago or three weeks ago now on October 30th, two weeks ago. And then they fell to number 22, Penn State. And then most recently, they fell to number eight, Michigan State. The team is now 5-5 five and five after its 4-0 and start that it had to begin the season. Now only two games remain against number 8 Michigan and Rutgers, who's also 5-5. Five and five. But I think first we should go over this loss to then number 8 Michigan State. And the loss was Maryland's fourth consecutive defeat to a ranked opponent. Maryland lost 40-21 to on the road. They gave up 27 first-half points to Michigan State. They got shut out in the fourth quarter, and they ended up losing by 19. And, you know, just watching this game, it was it was kind of expected. It was an expected outcome, and I think we should expect something similar this week. And I just wanted to get your initial takeaways on the loss and just what you thought about another Maryland defeat. You know, they're coming to the end of the season, and they're running out of time to get that sixth win. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we saw Maryland lose to Ohio State and Iowa earlier in the season in terms of their ranked opponents, those were – blowout losses and it looked like Maryland couldn't even compete but when you look at the last two ranked losses Maryland looked a little bit closer to being somewhere where they could compete and I think definitely we saw it against Penn State definitely more of a competitive game Michigan State a little less competitive but still like it never really felt like Maryland was like completely buried until the end there and so I do think that there is kind of maybe Maryland is progressing in the right direction. However, they still haven't been able to do enough to get that sixth one. I mean, looking ahead, since they beat Indiana, they had multiple chances to, I guess, get that sixth one, and chances are slowly dwindling. So when you look at kind of the road ahead, having number eight Michigan State coming up is a really big opportunity for Maryland to maybe change the narrative, flip the script a little bit on what people think of them. But realistically, when you look at it, it really might come down to that Rutgers game in which both teams are trying to get that sixth win still after having multiple opportunities. So I think the um, how the last two ranked losses looked were a little bit more 
um, in range than maybe um, the first two were to Ohio State and Iowa. And perhaps it means Maryland is kind of trending in the right direction of being able to compete. However, it seems like they're not necessarily in the place to completely pull off the upset yet. Yeah, you talk about them competing. I mean, this this game, right out of the gate, you had the flea flicker that goes for 52 yards and a touchdown to immediately set Maryland back from whatever hopes it had to kind of jump out to a big lead. And, and the thing that's been really haunting them over these last few weeks has been, has been the defense against these ranked opponents in which they've given up just uh, so, ma- so many points to. I mean, it's just been so consistent for this Maryland defense to give up at least – 30 points I, the last time they didn't give up 30 points I think it goes all the way back to Kent State back in September it's been a month and a half of giving up over 30 points to opponents I mean that just can't happen and then of course you start the game I mean how else would this defense start the game other than giving up another self-inflicted wound with the flea flicker I mean is that just a sign of how things have gone on defense for Maryland this year I mean that flea flicker was just a step in the wrong direction right away and it kind of put a sour note in whatever the Terps were trying to do on the road, where it hasn't really played well on the, it really hasn't played well on the road this year. Yeah, and it's a little surprising to me, kind of the turn that the defense really had this season. I think that there was, I mean, injuries definitely play a role in that. But to start the season, I feel like the expectations were relatively high for the defense, or maybe it felt like there were less question marks than there were. On the offense, I mean, you forget coming into the season, Talia really hadn't played in that many games for Maryland before. So I think when you look at kind of the way this defense has been trending, it was just not surprising to see Michigan State open up the game that way and kind of exploit that initially. When we saw, you know, the way Maryland wasn't able to necessarily stop the run against um, Minnesota, we then saw in turn when they played Penn State, they couldn't stop the passing game with Jahan Dotson. So realistically, it's like Maryland's defense, I feel like, has really just kind of trickled a little bit or, um, you know, teetered off. And it'll be interesting to see whether they're going to be able to hold Michigan or Rutgers somehow to less than 30 points. I mean, they haven't been able to do that for majority of the season. So I think that's kind of a big task that they have ahead of them. But realistically, it's like if their defense isn't putting them in position, it doesn't matter how many yards um, Talia is throwing for. I mean, for him to finish with, what, 350-something yards again, like he's had so many performances like that, and Maryland's record doesn't reflect it because the defense isn't necessarily carrying over. And it's, it's not just the defense. There's a few things that play into it. But to have a quarterback who's throwing like that in consistent games and isn't able to really come out with wins is definitely kind of telling to maybe some of the cracks in the defense this season. Yeah. And with, and with that defense, not really allowing Maryland to kind of execute on offense. I mean, just where they start on each drive, it's just, they're always pinned in their own zone. They're always crawling from behind at some point in the game. And then at the end of the day, you have a team that is, I I don't think I've ever seen a team commit more penalties than than Maryland does, especially for a team where the storyline all year is about how they shouldn't be committing penalties. It's you really can write it. It's like just two opposites fighting against each other. Just Loxley on one end saying that this team needs to cut down penalties and we need to keep telling them to be more disciplined. But on the other end, they're committing double digit penalties every game. It feels like, and this game was no different against Michigan state. Maryland had 
four penalties on offense, nine penalties on defense for 88 yards. They almost gifted Michigan State the length of the field with the amount of penalties that they took. And just, I mean, these penalties, two face masks, a defensive holding, roughing the passer, pass interference, an illegal substitution, two offsides, and an unnecessary roughness. I mean, those are things that you think throughout the year when the, the, the coaching staff is preaching that it's going to get fixed. It's, I mean, we've been hearing the same thing in every press conference all year about how it will be corrected and how it will be fixed, but there's just nothing that's pointing to it being fixed. And at the end of the day, it's really what's ruining Maryland's competitiveness in these difficult matchups, in these difficult games, because they're facing these top teams of the nation that are not committing nearly as many penalties or making nearly as many mistakes or giving up a touchdown on a flea flicker or giving up, you know, just so many defensive penalties that it's just gifting the the offense that you're playing against. So, I mean, it's just self-inflicted wounds. Once again, that's the story for Maryland. And I think it all goes back. You can talk, we'll get to the defense soon, but then you have to look at Talia Tagovailoa, who you mentioned before, he finished 29 of 48, 350 yards, two touchdowns. But once again, Maryland on offense, they're only finishing with 21 points. So it's the execution in the red zone that has been something of concern for Tagovailoa lately. And besides that Indiana game, Maryland hasn't scored more than 20 points. I mean, besides that Michigan State game, the only other game that they scored 20 or more points in since the Kent State game was that Indiana game. So they really just haven't been able to execute on both ends of the field. And then the decision-making, which we praised Talia Tagovailoa for earlier in the year, there were certain plays where, I mean, he ended with three intentional grounding flags. I mean, that's a lot. for That's a lot in a single game for a quarterback. Is that more of him not being able to get the job done on offense or is and his decision-making? Or do you think that leans more on the – the, uh, the offensive line, because it seems that every time he's in shotgun, he's on the run for his life. I mean, I think it's half and half. Rather than taking the sack, he throws the ball away. And he's always done that. I think we saw last year he was doing it. And that's where all of his interceptions came in last season. So I think that, you know, it's partially because the offensive line just wasn't necessarily their last game and wasn't giving him the space to make the plays that he needed to make. But you look at some of um, Talia's other decision-making, you know, for him to throw that interception at the beginning of the, um, at the beginning of the third quarter in the, I believe it was in the red zone where they were right there, ready to score. And, you know, it wasn't so out of reach. I think at halftime, Maryland was down um, less than two touchdowns or about two touchdowns. And, you know, for the game to be in reach there for Maryland to have the chance to kind of slowly climb back and then for him to throw that pick, you know, it's not entirely his fault, but you're looking at his decision-making as they're kind of getting closer to six wins, maybe teeter a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, is he playing well enough for this team to get that sixth win? Because you could point at his yards and his completions and say, yeah, you know, he is getting the job done. But then you look at Maryland's total output at the end of the game, and no matter how good your defense plays to win in the Big Ten with 21 points, 14 points, you know, 16 points, 17, and then 14. I was just going back besides the Indiana game. That's just not going to get the job done at the end of the day. But it's hard to place the blame solely on Talia. And I think he, I think if he pl- keeps playing the way that he is, I think we all are on the same understanding that this game against Michigan is kind of just a layover between the game that's really going to matter 
And I think if Tagovailoa plays the way he's doing with the last few weeks, ever since that, I would say, the Iowa collapse, I think that they should – they have a good chance to beat Rutgers. But, you know, there's just so many different, different areas of this team that are, have been prone to make mistakes and have been prone to have bad games that I'm just not sure that they can pull it all together. But just by how Talia's playing, I would say that they have a decent shot. Well, also, I think it's hard to blame Talia completely because you look at all the weapons he lost. he's lost this season. I mean, we have watched really week after week or every few weeks, Maryland loses another receiver who, you know, um, Dante Demas goes down in Iowa. Jayshon Jones steps up. He gets hurt. Jayshon Jones goes down. Next man up, Marcus Fleming starts playing. He gets hurt last game and now is out for the rest of the season. I mean, Talia is constantly having to change who his, like, you know, who his kind of um, higher on the list guys are, who he's throwing to. And, I mean, you have Chig, who's um, really come into the forefront on this Maryland offense. And um, Corey Deitches as well, just the Titans, have played a more consistent role than these receivers because they've just played in more games this season than the receivers have consistently but like I just don't think that's also part of the reason why you can't entirely blame maybe this potential decline in decision making and all those intentional grounding penalties um in the last game or whatever the case may be on necessarily Talia but him rather maybe not having the same weapons that he was supposed to have coming into the season but even has had you know throughout I mean he lost Marcus Fleming in the middle of the game so to kind of just adapt to that and try and refo- uh, refocus that is is definitely not entirely his um, at his fault. And then when we look at the top receivers in that Michigan State game, top receivers or top pass catchers for Maryland in that game, Rockham Jarrett, 10 catches for 105 yards, and Jigazimakonko, the senior tight end, getting eight catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns. He had two 32-yard touchdowns, both of them the same exact distance in the second and third quarter. You know, what has Chig done to kind of open the field for Rakim? Because without Okonkwo's uh, contributions to this offense, I'm not sure this offense is getting much of anywhere because all of the sole focus, everyone knew that Maryland's top receiver coming out of the, the wake of the injuries of Jayshon Jones and Dante Demas, it was going to be Rakim Jarrett, was going to be that number one guy. And then you have other guys like Daryl Jones and Brian Cobbs and Carlos Carriera that have just slowly made their way up the, the depth chart. And then we forgot to talk about a guy like Marcus Fleming, who was also just ruled out for the season. And he, I think Loxley said he'll be having surgery sometime soon, but he's, de- he's done for the season as well. So that's three major injuries to the wide receiver core. But just what is Ch- Chig, you know, without his contributions on offense – is Rockham Jarrett going to be able to put up over 100 yards a game, especially against a defense like Michigan? But just what has Chig's contributions meant to this offense that has just not really done enough as of late? Yeah, I mean, I think it's done huge things for Maryland, and I don't necessarily know if it was expected per se. Like, I think um, Chig has a lot of talent, and they knew that. And before he didn't play last season um, due to medical reasons, he had made an impact, but for Maryland to go from not using the tight end position really at all last season to now have him as this kind of um, offensive weapon is really huge for Maryland. And, you know, assuming he stays healthy and plays through these last two games, I do think that you're going to see him continue to have some of these 
games. It doesn't seem like, you know, that first time he had one of these games again, um, you know, we talked about whether it would become a constant or whether it was a one-time thing. And I think, you know, we'll be, I think he will be scoring in the next two games or at least be targeted to score. He's clearly made an impact and he's shown that he is more versatile, uh, more versatile than just like those two yard touchdowns. You know, he can, we saw this weekend, he gets the 32 yard touchdowns. He's, um, is getting the ball beyond the red zone and, um, outrunning the defenders and getting there and putting Maryland in at least better, stronger positions. But it gives Talia an outlet to throw to who's reliable um, outside of Rakim, who oftentimes is probably the main focus of opposing defenses. So he's done a lot for this team. And then the guys below them, you know, the receivers, there's not much else. There wasn't much else production other than Rakim Jarrett and Chigas and McConquo. If you just look at the stats, I mean, Maryland's third best receiver that game was a running back. It was Tan Fleet Davis, who had three catches for 35 yards. And then below him, Daryl Jones had two catches for 32 yards. Carrier had just two catches for 25 yards. Fleming, who we now found out was hurt, had just one catch. Brian Cobbs, just one catch. I mean, this offense desperately needs those guys to step up. And Carlos Carrier did have that one great game against, uh, blanking, Indiana, I want to say it was, because Maryland's offense put up a lot. So Carrier did have that one game, but besides that, there has been much. And as a result, this offense has not been able to score as many as I'm sure it would like to, or or as many as it kind of expected on a week-to-week basis. And it's just had a very negative impact. And this was just another game where, you know, the receivers, it was very top-heavy. And then if you look at the run game, you can't really do much when you're down, when you give up 27 first half points to a top 10 team in the nation. All of a sudden, the game script becomes throw, throw, throw once again for Maryland. And Tugavailoa ends with 48 pass attempts. And then in the running game, you got Penny Boone and Colby McDonald actually showing some decent flashes in the running game, but they only end up combining for 11 carries. Just, you know, from what, what they were able to produce on the field, what did you guys see from them? And because they're, they're going to be the running backs of Maryland football's future. So, I mean, that, that, it's kind of a good audition to see what they were able to do against this Spartans defensive front. And just what did we think about how they performed last Saturday? I mean, yeah, I'd say it's relatively promising. I think a lot of the time this season, we've seen younger players step in and Loxley talk about what a good indication it is of the future, especially in that Howard game when Maryland was winning by a lot. Um, Loxley kind of switched up the lineup and we had the chance to see some of these younger players and how he said after the game what a great indication it was for Maryland's future and I don't necessarily disagree with him I think that um, you know Penny Boone Colby McDonald do have a lot of potential for if um, if Maryland had the opportunity to run the ball more if they weren't um, if the defense wasn't putting them in positions to throw the ball so much and you know, try and catch up in that manner, then I think we'd be seeing a lot more action from them. But ultimately, I do think that the two of them have been relatively doing what they're supposed to for Maryland, and it is a good indication for the future. So I'd love to bring in Sam Oshry, who has finally joined us for the wonderful podcast. Sam, thank you so much for hopping on. And I want to ask you about this Maryland defense, this Maryland football defense that has struggled so mightily recently. Peyton Thorne went off against the Terps for Michigan State. He ended with four passing touchdowns. Kenneth Walker, 30 carries, 143 yards, two touchdowns for 
what is surely going to be a close Heisman race with how he's playing. And the Spartans go eight for 13 on third down. They finish with 481 yards. It seems like a broken record with Maryland's defense giving up nearly 500 yards. With two games left remaining in the season, Sam, where do you see this defense going from here? And is, is there, you know, is there a road back for them? Can, is, is there a way that they could possibly recover after giving up 30 straight points over the last five or six games? As always, every Wednesday. Um, sorry, I'm a little late. <laughs> but um, when you talk about the defense, the big thing that they that really struggle, I mean, they've struggled in the recent weeks, but the big thing they really struggle with is giving up big plays. I mean, it's, it's time and time again, week after week, where they're just giving up monster plays to, to the opposing offense. And we saw that very early on with that flea, flick, flea, flea flicker that Michigan State ran. Um, so, so, I mean, it's really just the, the explosive plays that they really struggle to give up, whether it's breaking a running back's breaking loose for a big run or the Penn, against Penn State. When Penn State, there was tie game. They were backed up um, in their own, like, 20-yard line or so, and they threw that slant route to Jahan Dotson and went off for 85 yards. And, and the game was over from there. So, I mean, it's really just they're, they're, when you talk about these mistakes, it's giving up these big plays, and they're really struggling to contain them. And it just puts the, puts the offense in such a difficult position when they're depleted. The offense is depleted. Their, their weapons aren't what they were to start the season. And they just have to catch up in terms of all these points that they have to put up because their defense has really struggled to stop opposing teams from scoring. And now I think that's enough about that game. So Maryland – drops it's that was its 10th game of the season Maryland is now five and five and then looking to next week they will be taking on Michigan another top 10 team that the Terps will face and this team is they're obviously not a walkover they're one of the best teams in the country they're top hat they're in the top half in the big 10 in scoring offense scoring defense and they have the second best rushing attack in the big 10 this is going to be another difficult game for Maryland to try to win and that's why I, I I'm they're probably going to be double-digit underdogs in, their, in the shell. So they're probably, you know, realistically, they're likely not going to come out with a win in this one. I think that that's just a common understanding among Maryland football fans and media alike, and that all of a sudden this game is going to leak over into that game against Rutgers, which I'm sure we will get into next week unless Maryland pulls off some crazy upset against Michigan this Saturday on senior day. But – from what we've seen against Maryland, against top-ranked opponents in the nation, what do they need to do to win, and can they win? Yeah, I mean, first, it's it would be a monumental upset if they could, and if they somehow get that sixth win against Michigan a week early, then everyone is expecting them to have an, a better opportunity to. With, with Rutgers the last week of the season, I mean, that would be a shocker and, and really probably the best win of um, Loxley's career, I would say, but... It, they're going to have it like we've just talked about this defense and how much they've struggled to give up big plays. I mean, this is a really balanced Michigan offense that likes to control the game early with the run game. And then they, they can deliver in the pass game too. So, I mean, it's, it's a balanced offensive attack that Michigan poses and Maryland's going to have a tough time stopping them. And I mean, they're just one of the best teams in the country. They've, they put the, they put very complete performances together. There's, People might have expected them to be undefeated even going into the last week of the season against Ohio State. Obviously, they dropped that game to Michigan State, which many people thought they were in control of throughout the game. Um, but so it's going to be very challenging for Maryland to pull off this upset. I don't see how they're going to do it realistically unless they Talia and the offense have an unbelievable game and put up like 40 points, 40 plus points probably. 
but I don't see I don't see that happening and it's going to be a tall task this Saturday. Yeah, I'd say the only way Maryland can stay at least close is if the defense doesn't let the game get away from them like they kind of have the last few games. If Talia and the offense don't have to necessarily play from behind the entire game, then there's a chance they can keep this one at least a little bit close for, you know, a couple quarters, um, maybe even into the second half, depending on how much the defense kind of turns things around. But I don't disagree. I think Michigan's a really well-balanced team and that, you know, it would take a lot for Maryland to pull off the upset at home. Right. And it's difficult for us to expect anything different than what we've seen over the past few weeks. All we've seen are mistakes on both ends of the field and especially against ranked opponents. Maryland has just not been up to the task and it's, it's gone to the point where you're just hoping for them to be competitive if you're Mike Loxley. And that's usually what these these pressures are about at the end. It's about staying competitive and staying in these games against one of the best, against some of the best teams in the country. I mean, they played Iowa. They lost by 37. They played a ranked Ohio State in Columbus, and we saw that one in person. They lost by 49. Then number 22, Penn State, they lose by 17. And then Michigan State, they lose by 19. It's just endless double-digit defeats for Maryland against these ranked teams, and it's just hard to expect otherwise. So with and, that, everyone, and everyone's yeah. just waiting for them to finally like be, win a game that they're not supposed to win in the Big Ten. And it hasn't happened yet in Loxley's career where they're really coming in as, as big underdogs against some of these top, top opponents in the Big Ten, and more specifically the Big Ten East. And it just hasn't happened. And it doesn't – I mean, this would be the game that would be that, winning a huge game at home where they're not expected to win at all. But I don't think it's going to happen this season. And, and Maryland fans are going to have to wait another season to see if they'll be able to get that big Big Ten East win um, next year. You're right, and the, and the fans are just waiting for it. And then at the same time, you look at the uh, you look elsewhere in the Big Ten, and you see teams like Illinois and Rutgers just absolutely bouncing back from you know horrible seasons as programs. And all of a sudden, they've got like five wins, and they're on the edge of a bowl game. Something that Maryland's been trying to do since 2016. So it's just I don't know. It's just hard to see these other big teams, even like a Purdue. It's just hard to see these other Big Ten teams rattle off these upset wins and these these big wins in, in the Big Ten Conference, and then Maryland, every Big Ten game is against a ranked team is just a nightmare for what they're doing on the field. So I think with that, I think we all know where we're going with our predictions. And I think I will start out by saying that I think that Maryland's defense is going to give up over 30 points again. I don't think that anything is going to really change this weekend. And I think Michigan – Scores around the the forty point mark somewhere around there something with what Michigan State did, and I'll say forty two to seventeen Michigan. We always we've been talking about that thirty point like benchmark kind of like is Maryland's defense going to give up thirty points or not? I mean I really think we should raise that because it's it's really no question that Maryland's defense is going to give up thirty points to every opponent, definitely the best opponents they're going to face at this point. Um, Loxley joked at the at the press conference yesterday. He was like, he kind of put in the he wanted to put. Obviously, he was kidding, but he wanted to put in Michigan's head, like, oh, oh, they have a big game coming up after, um, like because Michigan's playing Ohio State. A lot of people saw this game originally. It was like, this could be a um a lookover game and and maybe a trap game for Michigan. But at the same time, the conversation around Maryland football is already on Rutgers. It's like this week isn't even being played for either team because they both have huge. Both these teams have huge games coming up. The, well, the week after, which will be the last week of the regular season. 
So, I mean, I don't see how Maryland's going to win this game even with that. Um, I think the line, the spread is 15, I saw. I think Michigan will cover that. I'll say 42 to 20. And I'm not so far off. Last week I was relatively close, and I like the same score this week, so 42-24 Michigan. Yeah, nothing wrong with consistency. So, I like it. Yeah, consistency. Consistency is always key. So we got our predictions in. We got Michigan winning big, scoring over 30 points again. You know the deal with Maryland football against ranked teams. So now I guess we could go into Maryland men's basketball, which I would, is near a polar opposite of what Maryland football has been able to do. Maryland moved up one spot in the AP poll last week in the basketball world. They are now the number 20 team in the nation. They are off to a 3-0 start. They beat Quinnipiac, George Washington in the Ricky Lindo Jr. revenge game. And then most recently, they beat Vermont in a 68-57 win. What are our initial – you guys were both at that game. I was covering the football game. You know, that first half, what went wrong for Maryland over the first 20 minutes of that game where they found themselves down 36-32? to 32? Because to me, it just seemed like – the offense just looked a little one-dimensional and there were some bad shot selections that led to that deficit. Yeah, well, first, I mean, um, they've been tested so far in the season and I think, and they've come away with a few wins, but I think that's a good thing moving forward. I mean, they don't schedule the toughest non-conference matchups because they have such a daunting schedule when they face Big Ten opponents. So, but it's a good thing that they're getting tested and they're facing some adversity and not just blowing some, some lesser teams out early on. What went wrong in that first half and really what's gone wrong all season for their offense is they can't make shots right now. And for whatever reason, because um, I don't think they're bad shooters. I mean, I trust Dante Scott and Eric Ayala and um, Fats Russell to make three-pointers. And then Ian Martinez off the bench. And to a lesser extent, Akeem Hart, but when he's hot, he can get really hot um, from three. So, I mean, I, tr I trust those guys, and I know Turgeon does too, and they said they haven't worried – they're not worried about missing these shots, but they've sh they're really struggling from three-point range, and it just makes it really hard to score at a consistent level when your, your three-point shot isn't following. And they're, and they're getting open looks too because the big thing about last year's offense when they struggled from three is they weren't getting good looks. I mean, they couldn't generate open threes. That has changed this year, and it's in large part due to Fats Russell because he's so good at getting down – getting downhill and getting in the lane and creating and peep defenders have to help. So he, he kicks and there's open looks. They're just not knocking them down right now. It's early on in the season there. I don't think they're going to be struggling. Certainly not like this. I don't think they're going to be a poor three point shooting team moving forward as is, but that that's what they're just struggling to make shots right now. Yeah. I don't disagree. And also Vermont was not struggling at all to take, uh, to sink their shots. I think that they have a pretty talented team. It, I think it was clear from watching them that you know they'll have a successful season in their conference and you look around the big 10 and some of the losses that are already happening in big 10 men's basketball and you have to sit here and think you know from um, maryland to get through the last three games especially the last two where they were really challenged and potentially tonight being challenged as well um it does do a lot for this team for them to be able to face adversity so early on as such a new team i think eric Ayala was hitting upon it um, after the last game, but most of the, I mean, a huge portion of this team is brand new and the chemistry, whether it's great as they're talking about it being, or it's as great as it is, as, um, they say it is, there's still a lot of gelling that has to be done and playing in games is different than practicing. So for them to be tested as early as they are is really great. And, you know, I agree with Sam. I think that, um, Maryland's biggest struggle right now is shooting specifically shooting from deep. I mean, we keep seeing it. 
And Coach Turgeon said something about it yesterday, how, you know, Fats Russell really does do such a great job at distributing the ball. And right now, maybe he doesn't have that many assists, but it's not because he's not looking for them. It's the shots aren't going in. And that's where his assists are not coming from. But he's getting the ball out to most of these guys. So I think once Maryland kind of sharpens up their shooting and is able to hit some of the – I mean, they're getting plenty of attempts, plenty of looks, but just none of them are sinking, I think, um, after the first uh, couple of games. Or I think the first – going into Vermont, Maryland, I think, made just nine of 37 attempted three-point shots. So 37 attempts, 37 opportunities, 37 looks. You make just a few more of those and you're already, you know, um, beating opponents by a lot more and kind of running away with it. So it'll be interesting to see if um, how kind of throughout the rest of non-conference play, especially some of the more challenging opponents in non-conference play, if Maryland is kind of able to rework, I guess, their shot and figure it out. Yeah, and the, um, another thing on shooting real quick, I mean, their best shooter and their best overall score is Eric Ayala. And he's shooting like, I think 23% from three right now. Um, again, it's not a concern. He's a good three point shooter. He can score the ball pretty much at will. And he's a three level scorer. I mean, he can get down, you know, he can, he can pull up and he can knock down the three ball, but he's really struggling from three right now. And it really just starts at the top. So, I mean, when he starts improving, I think you're going to see everyone start improving. And Maryland shooting in that first half against Vermont, in which it did find itself down four going to half. You look at this, the shooting overall, two of 11 in the first half from deep, 11 of 34 from the floor. And then the story of the first half, it was kind of just like, you know, everything colliding together, especially with how Ben Shungu played for Vermont. I mean, he was unbelievable in that first half. He finished with 20 points on eight for 12 shooting, three of five from three. And if you just look at that score at half, just straight on, you say, okay, Maryland had a bad shooting half, but their defense was actually very good from what I noticed, you know, from what I was watching, their defense was sound. They weren't really giving many too many open looks. Sometimes you just get overpowered by a player in college basketball. And this time it was Shungu who really came out and played in that first half. And he finished with 20 points at the end of 20 minutes. I mean, what more could you ask from him? And then the Terps second half adjustments is really what ultimately won them the game because Shungu only had seven points from there in this in the last 20 minutes. Maryland gets the 68 to 57 win on their home court. And then at the end of the day, you know, you talk about making shots and shooting and all of that. But for someone like Dante Scott to end this game with four points on two for 10 shooting on 0 for five from three, he was one of, if not the best Terp last year, just on both ends of the floor. Are we, are we concerned at all with how he has been playing? Or is this just a confidence thing? What is going on with Dante Scott? And is his breakout game soon going to come? It's too early to be concerned. Um, I still think he's the best overall player on this team. Um, he may not be the best scorer, but I think he's the best overall player in terms of everything he brings to the table. I don't like. I think a breakout game is coming, but what I've seen from seen from him so far is he's forcing a lot, especially early on in the games. And I think if he lets the game come to him a little more and just like gets his buckets through the offense, I mean they run things through him a lot. I think he'll have a better time. And I mean he's playing well defensively still. He's had some. He had a, he got blown by a couple times by Shingu um, last game, but but he's still he's really a great. Um, like rim protector kind of when he like he's good in help positions and he comes over and he had a couple good blocks last game so offensively i think it's going to come he's just he just can't force as much as he has been i i think turgeon 
he said it kind of subtly, but he was like, some guys are trying to like do too much or for or force things. He didn't say in specific names, but I have a feeling that's who he was talking about, Dante Scott. Um, but I, I'm not really concerned. I mean, he's a great player, and I think you're gonna you're gonna see him come into his own, especially with the new pieces and how they're trying to work everything through. Um, Q down low and, and with Fats as the primary point guard. So I think it's just an adjustment, but I think you're going to see him see him come to come into his own uh, fairly soon. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I don't think that there's anything necessarily to worry about. And I think as with many of the players on the team, especially him and Hakeem Hart, it's just about kind of growing with this new starting lineup and figuring out, you know, how to you know, play to their personal strengths while also complementing the strengths of everyone, all the other moving pieces to this. And, you know, we saw a few times last game, um, Turgeon take out the entire line, starting lineup except for one player and then put in, you know, some combination of Julian Reese, um, Ian Martinez, uh, Xavier Green, Simon Wright, some combination of all of them. We've seen him do it with Pablo as well. So like, you know, kind of rotating in these other guys. And I think Dante just is working on, you know, I agree with Sam once he kind of um, calms down a little and doesn't force some of the shots that he does force, I think his shooting numbers will go up. But I don't think there's anything necessarily to worry about just because I think he has the ability to be a more consistent player as I think we did see last season. And that'll come just with time and adjustment. Yeah, and then real quick, Dylan, you just, um, you talked about the defense earlier. So I just want to say something about that. I mean, Maryland has had in the past some really great half-court defensive teams, especially last year. I mean, that's really what carried them because they were a bad offense last year. It was their half-court defense that carried them. And um, this year, I think, can be very similar. I mean, they're going to be a high-powered offense, I think. You're going to see that come along as the season goes on. But I still – I think their defense is, is going to be great. You saw that in that second half. I mean, Turgeon called those last 10 minutes last um, game against Vermont, like the best – some of the best 10 minutes he's ever seen is one of his teams played, which really is some, maybe it was, it was a bit of a hyperbole moment for him, but like this, he's, he's had some great defensive teams. So that's some high praise. And one of those adjustments they made was on Shungu was they were just switching everything. And um, they, they like Fats Russell is an undersized point guard. He can move his feet and he's obviously he's brilliantly quick. And so he's, a good defender. Dante Scott, we talked about his defense. Xavier Green off the bench, who played a lot of those crunch time minutes because he's such a great uh, perimeter defender. And then Hakeem Hart's a much improved defender from last year. I mean, we saw, he's gotten bigger, um, he's gotten stronger and taller. And so we're seeing some of those improvements pay off um, in, in his defense. So I think this is going to be a great defensive team too. And you saw last last game when they're locked in and they're in sync on defense. I mean, they can do, they can do some special things. Yeah, and I think that that defense, which is definitely, I mean, the team is clearly just not at reaching their full potential yet because it is so early in the season. But I do think once that defense comes together, I think we're really going to see the, the transition game be a really big factor for this team. I mean, they have the capability, I think, to be one of the most effective teams in transition maybe in the nation. I mean, they have a guy that's as quick as, as fast as lightning with Fats Russell. They got a monster in Kudus Wahab, who is very good at moving up and down the floor. He's definitely no slouch when it comes to moving in transition. And you got guys like Eric Ayala, who's a pure scorer, who loves to take it to the, the rim, and Dante Scott, who's the same way. So I think that I think once this defense really comes together and you start seeing this team start to force more turnovers on their opponents, uh, they did for they only forced Vermont into seven turnovers. I think if once they start getting into that they start forcing teams into like double digit turnovers. 
I think they're going to start getting double-digit points off turnovers in return because I think they are talented enough and capable of reaching that mark. And now I think that we can just sort of look ahead with this team so far. We got – so Maryland's 3-0 and record, and now they're going to play tonight, actually, which is why we're going to have to cut this off slightly short from our normal podcast time. But Maryland men's basketball is going to play George Mason tonight, another 3-0 and team. They're a pretty talented 8-10 squad. And they got some pretty good faces on that roster. And if Maryland wins tonight, it will be their eighth straight fourth 4-0 start. So – you know, Maryland's had a couple different leading scores over the last couple of weeks. So along with our predictions for this upcoming game, before we close off, I also want to give our leading scorer projection for this game for Maryland, because that seems to be changing every game. And there's always and Lauren's making faces, but we're going to do it anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be Q who's going to lead Maryland in scoring tonight. I think that the first two games are really evident as to how much they really want to work inside. And I don't think that Maryland is going to really rely on Russell and Ayala to shoot 34 shots a game. That's what they combined for against Vermont. I think they work it back inside, back to Q, who, what Mark Turgeon likes to call him. So I think that Maryland comes out with a 10-point win at home. And I think Q is going to lead this team in scoring. Um, scoring predictions, I mean, Q is an interesting one. I think you're going to – you saw last game against Vermont – that they doubled him a lot and he struggled with the double team, which is, you know, natural. I mean, he's, a, he obviously has proven to be a great player and he's a force inside and you really can't have him in single coverage or he, he will be able to score in that low block. So teams are going to start doubling him. I think you should see that tonight. And Turgeon wasn't so comfortable with him getting double teams. So he kind of pulled him off the floor for a little bit. Um, last game. I don't know if he's going to be the leading scorer today. I think Ayala is going to have a good bounce back game. I think he's going to have a good shooting game. Um, so I'm going to say him. I am going to make a prediction. I think Maryland's going to lose tonight. Um, I just think like the way they've been playing and shooting the ball and, and it just, it's, it's, they could have had two losses in their last game. And I think it's just going to break down tonight. And, and again, I think their offense is going to improve and they're shooting. It's not something to be concerned about because they will be better, but I think those struggles continue tonight and it feels like they're on the edge of the line. I think it started at like 12 or something. I think it's down to like nine and a half. Now it's continuously going down. Um, as we approach opening tip three hours away here. Um, so I just, I think they're going to lose. I mean, I, we saw like Michigan lost to Seton Hall, obviously a great big 10 team. I don't think it's an indictment on, on how the rest of the season is going to go, but George Mason's also a very good team. They play with a lot of pace. They're going to compete for the eight ten. They may even win the thing um, and, and make a tournament appearance. Um, so I think George Mason is going to be Maryland night. I'm going to say 70. Yeah. I'm going to say 70 to 65. Yeah, I'm not going to make a specific score prediction, but I am not surprised that you say that at all, Sam. I think the more that I read about kind of George Mason coming into this game, the more I felt kind of similarly. I, I think that Maryland will win. I think they'll find a way to win because they've already kind of had some closer games already this season. If this was their first one like that, maybe I would disagree. But it, George Mason has had, what, three 20-plus point victories over three teams in a row. Their top shooters are shooting incredibly well. Uh, you know, I think well over 50% from the field, from deep, whatever the case may be. And I think that Maryland will win, but I think they'll only win. I think they'll win by less than 10 points. I think it'll be a really tight, close game. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if 
Q had a stronger game tonight than he had against Vermont because he was talking about the other day having um, practicing the double team more and Turgeon was talking about how he felt he didn't prepare him well, but I'll go with someone different than both of you. And I think that Fats Russell will again play a really large role for Maryland. He's really quick. I think in transition, he's so important. And I think that, you know, Maryland is going to, to win tonight. Maryland's going to have to be forcing turnovers. And I think that Q will be able to, uh, I'm sorry, that Fats will be able to score off those turnovers in those quick transition moments and uh, come out the leading scorer. All right, so Maryland men's basketball will look to be 4-0 tonight against George Mason. We will have to resort to talking about that next week on the podcast. So thank you guys so much for listening. We talked about Maryland football and their quest for six wins and Maryland men's basketball and their undefeated start. So thank you so much for listening, and we will get back to you next Wednesday when we are all home for break. So we will all be back for a Tocito Times podcast next Wednesday, and thank you so much for listening.